All right. We got here Eric Chatterton, managing partner of Gibby's Capital Investments. Sorry. I promised you I wouldn't botch it, but I did a little bit. Uh, <laughs> only, Eric, only the name of so the company, much. not the last name, right? That's like, <laughs> there you go. Appreciate you coming on, man. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to it as well. You and Landon had initially connected through Brad, who works with us. Tell us a little bit more about how that connection fostered. And then I want to hear a little bit more about your story, what you're up to in the world, and then we'll go deeper into that. Yeah. So I initially met Brad at a multifamily training workshop. And that's how I met Brad. Brad recommended that Landon and I connect. And I just hit it off with Landon. Obviously, you guys are doing some awesome things over there with what you do and just connecting with other like-minded individuals. But yeah, I was pumped to connect just with as as many people that think like me as I can. But it just try to see whatever synergy there is and see what business can be done. And you know, you guys are super sharp. So I was looking forward to connecting in some fashion. I jump into the multifamily space. Do you want me to jump into my experience or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, how, so how did you, yeah. So what did the timeline look like? Where are you, maybe just state in general, kind of where you're at today, but then immediately when you say that surface level where you're at today, just rewind back to where it all started, if that's cool. Sure. Yeah. So guys, so where I'm at today, I've been in the multifamily space for a little under three years now. And we focus on the acquisition and management of large value add multifamily properties. So in a nutshell, we buy 100 to 400 unit apartment complexes. And we buy these big buildings with a select group of investors. I got into the space. I kind of grew up in and around real estate in Oregon. And, you know, I saw my parents buying single family homes and they owned two small multifamily buildings in Oregon, a 26 unit and a 42. But I saw that I saw there was a void there. There was a gap and they're, they're in their sixties. They were working 15, 16 hour days. And I just knew there was a better way to do it. Of course, they saw a ton of success, but. I was like, man, there's got to be a better way. Like you guys are in your sixties working that hard. It was just hard for me to see. And they did, they felt like they were by themselves. And I, so anyway, that's when I sought out this whole concept of what we call syndication, where we syndicate these deals and we pull together a group, a select group of investors capital to buy bigger and better producing assets. And so I found this program, jumped in. That's how I met Brad and I travel around and I teach at these three day workshops. That's how I, you know, met Brad. Brad's a stud and. Anyway, that's kind of, I went through that same program myself and now I travel around and I help other people learn how to do what we've done. And so that was a little under three years ago. And in that time, you know, I guess if you fast forward to today, we've now acquired eight multifamily properties, 1,328 units and a little over 153 million of multifamily assets under management. Got a ninth deal right now under contract. We're raising capital for it right now, set to close on it on June 10th. So about five, six weeks away, that's another 102 units in Houston. And I'm local to Texas in Houston, Texas. So that'll put us at nine deals, 1,430 units and a little over 162 million of assets under management. So it's been a fun ride. I love it. That's awesome. So three years ago is when you started. That's around COVID, I assume, right? That's in that COVID. It was right before. Yeah. What was that? initial journey like? Like what were the what were some of the challenges that you faced in that through that time, young business owner, you know, gathering assets, gathering dollars and, and really getting people to get on board with the vision and, and what you were building? It was actually a blessing in disguise. And I think, you know, so I gotta be careful here because this is like the unpopular opinion, right? A lot of people think COVID was the worst thing that ever happened to them. There's a lot of health issues, families, deaths, whatever. I get that. 
but I will always look at COVID as a huge blessing for me and my family. And so, like I said, unpopular opinion for sure. But what it did is it forced me to think outside the box, forced me to try something different, get out of my comfort zone. Because during COVID, what I was doing is I was running a solar company at the time. And you guys, you know, you know solar's big in Florida, Texas, Arizona, California. And it was great. I loved it. Great industry. I know a ton, ton of my good friends own their own companies and do really, really well. Nothing bad to say about it. But I was in that direct sales space for about 12 years and I was just ready for something different. And in solar, kind of what you do is you do these face-to-face consultations. And so you'll go into people's homes and explain to them the benefits of solar. Well, so COVID hit, right? So when COVID hit, it's like, well, now I can't go do face-to-face presentations in people's homes. Nobody wants to even look at you. Even if you have a mask, stay, you know, whatever feet away. And so that put a huge hurdle in the business. And I was like, man, I got to, I still got to provide. You still got to be a provider, right? So I started looking around and found multifamily, started getting educated during the COVID process, right? And then started getting knowledgeable, becoming as much of an expert as I could, got into my first deal. So I jumped into multifamily and it took me seven months to go get my first deal. And you guys know this from being athletes, but we just, I've never quit anything in my life. So, you know, I'm used to rejection and being able to get back up and push even when I don't want to. And so seven months felt like forever. But once I got that first deal, man, everything changed. First deal was a 224 unit apartment complex in Fort Worth, Texas. And that really set the pace, built some momentum. 10 days after we closed on that one, we got an LOI, which is a letter of intent. We got an LOI accepted on another 144 units in Houston, Texas, closed on that one. And then about four months later, we closed on three back-to-back-to-back more deals, and we've just been off to the races since. So it's really that law of the first deal. Wow. And for what it's worth, popular opinion on this podcast is that COVID was the best thing that's ever happened. I get it. Yes, people got sick and people passed away, but also it allowed us what we like to call turn decades into days and really accelerate growth. So I want to harp on that a little bit. Three years, three like two and a half short years of being in this business, and you were able to accelerate to a position where you are now the managing partner of this firm. That's a lot of growth very quickly. How were you able to do that through, you know, leveraging network and being able to possess more skill sets? But also, what did you also have to learn or unlearn about yourself to actually get to that point? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. And Honestly, I, I had to just do a little self check and just check myself for a little bit because I had always been an entrepreneur. I've never had a nine to five in my life. I've always had either commission based jobs or performance based, you know, payouts and whatnot. And so in solar and everything, but in every other business that I ran, I also ran a satellite dealer. So I ran a dealer for AT&T and DirecTV and also the same thing for Dish Network. And so I've run businesses, several businesses, but in every single business I've done up to multifamily, every single one, I kept hitting the ceiling, man. I couldn't break past this barrier. And I was a talent. I felt like I was a talented guy. I felt like I had skill sets to see unlimited success, but for some reason I couldn't push past this barrier. And I kept seeing a certain level of success and it just wasn't where I thought I, I could. So I had to do a little self-check and I realized that I had this this weird trait about me where I had to feel like I had to have my hand in every decision and I just wasn't good at delegating. And I felt like if I wasn't doing it, it wouldn't get done right. And so that's a combination of a couple things. So to answer your question, it's a combination of who you surround yourself with. 
there's power in proximity. And, you know, I was surrounding myself with people that weren't able to kind of step up to the plate and take certain roles and step up to the occasion. And so for that reason, I kept having to have this feeling where I got to do it. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do the payroll. I got to do the marketing. I got to do the sales. I got to do the training, the management, the leadership. All of that made it so I could never pass a certain point in my businesses. So then I was like, man, I got to change my circle. I have to change my sphere of influence. I got to surround myself with people better than me and I can't be the best one in the room. And that's what I did. I focused on just putting myself near people that could add value to me and just make me better. And so that's why I jumped into that mentorship program. And the whole point of that program is to teach you how to do this business and how to build it from the ground up, but also learn from other people that have done what you're trying to do. And that's something I'd never had. I'd never had a mentor or a coach or let alone paid for it. And I did spent 40 grand on education, coaching, mentorship. So I could learn how to do the commercial real estate space the right way. And so I jumped in. There's a network. We've got over 3000 of us in the network, people from all walks of life, all skill sets. And, and so I jumped in, started the company and I brought my wife's parents in as my business partners. They have their own skill sets that are completely different than my own. And I was able to scale a lot quicker because I had different members on the team, people that had different skill sets than me. So I could just focus on what my specialty was. Dude, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that is something that Landon and I had to go through over the last year of delegation is tough. And especially from the athlete background, like we've all been coached for so long. So we're like, all right, we know what we have to do. So now that I'm out of sports, why do I have to go subject to somebody else coaching me if I know what the hell I, I'm able to do? But it's a completely different ball game when you hop into a different industry. That's amazing, man. So let's pivot a little bit more to the business side of things. Let's go very foundational to start for those that are listening that don't know much about multifamily syndications and all this stuff. Tell us a little bit more about the overarching like macro mechanisms of how it works, what a general partner is, limited partners, the advantages to doing it, how you fund deals, what the deal structures look like and all that stuff. Sure. And keep in mind, we're going to, we'll go through this as simple and like easy as we can. When I first started learning about this stuff, I didn't have any real estate experience. So, I mean, it took me like two months just to learn how to talk the talk. And so if there are questions or you're not understanding something, don't worry any of the listeners listening, like, don't worry, there was stuff that went right over my head for months before I started learning how to, you know, kind of talk the talk as well. So, but yeah, so in this business, right, there's, so there's two sides of it. There is what we call the GP and then the LP. The GP stands for general partnership. The LP stands for limited partnership. And the limited partners are essentially passive investors. And the general partners are the active operators that are executing the business plan, sourcing the deal, underwriting the deal, dealing with the lenders and insurance, closing on the property, raising all the capital for the deal, and then executing the business plan through the entire hold. We'll typically buy these 100 to 400 unit buildings. We'll hold them for three to five years. That's our typical hold time for these deals. And one thing to write down is that every single property, there's usually four different asset classes or classes within multifamily. You have your A class, B class, C class, and D class type properties. We focus on the B and C type, the classes of the multifamily deals. And the reason why is because every property, this is the part to write down, is every property we buy, it must have value add. It must have the component of value add. And, you know, it's my favorite part of the, this business. In my opinion, it's the quickest way to wealth and the quickest way to build your portfolio and, and build equity in these deals. Cash flow is great. 
cash flow is kind of just the cherry on top for us. The equity is where true wealth is really built on the value add deals. And I'll give you an, just a little concept and idea here. So we bought that second property I mentioned to you before. The second one was the 144 unit deal in Houston. So that property we bought November 4th of 2021. So about a year and a half ago. Short time. It's been fun. We bought that property for 13.2 million. And we're already getting, we're getting offers almost every week on it right now. People want the deal. It's got phenomenal occupancy. We've done really well executing our business plan. We're already getting offers in a short year and a half. Remember, we bought it for 13.2 million. We're already getting offers for between 18 and 19 million almost on a weekly basis. So we've got five, six million dollars of equity we've created in that deal in a year and a half. And the beauty is, like I said, the beauty is my job essentially is to make other people money and in a passive way. So our investors, the way that we get these investors in on these deals is we make it extremely attractive to them. And so what we do is we give 70% of all the cash flow and 70% of all the equity to our LPs, our limited partners, our passive investors. And that might seem like a lot, but the truth is we wouldn't even be able to get these deals and fund them with our, without our investors. So we make it extremely attractive. We give them 70% of the cash flow, 70% of the equity. Now that's a lot of equity we built on that project, but we're not selling yet, right? We're holding on to the property because our projected exit value is closer to 23 million on the five year hold. So if we can just hold out, you know, ride the wave while we have it and keep riding that wave up and get closer to that 23 million. And if we can hit that five year projection in year three versus, you know, year five, now we've just created a very happy investor, a repeat investor, and they'll most likely turn some of those profits and reinvest with us on future deals. Now, if we just wait till we hit that 23 million mark, well, now we've created $10 million of equity. And like I said, 70% of cash flow and equity goes to them. So of that 10 million, we get to distribute as an operator team, as a GP team, $7 million to our passive investors. Man, that's powerful. Like that's powerful. And that's what, that's when it gets fun. Yeah. Yeah. Real estate is so cool. And I want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit because let's say three years ago, a lot of GPs were telling them, Hey, at this time, when we've been able to force appreciate the equity in the property a little bit, we're going to do a cash out refinance right now. That probably isn't logical right now with the way interest rates are. So where are you guys pivoting in your language to your LPs? Let's say that was the plan on the deal of like, Hey, we're going to get some equity out of this. You're going to get some money back along the way. And then we're eventually maybe going to sell. Like what, what's that conversation looking like now? Yeah. And the business plan changes on each deal. It's, you know, the skeleton's the same, but really like we base our investment strategy purely on what's best for the investor. You know, where is the market at? What's best for them? You know, if it was best to sell right now, we would like that same property, we would entertain it. But it's just not, you know, we have a good property, good occupancy. We're, bu we're bumping the rents above what we're projecting. So for us, like we're just holding on to that one a little bit longer. We're not in a rush to sell it, to sell it right now, especially with the way the market is. Like, you know, we feel like in another year, maybe two years, it'll be in an even better spot to be able to sell. So I think we just, you know, we, I just got asked on an investor call last night. We had 10 investors. We had a one, one investor brought another nine of them. And we were just getting blasted with this different questions left and right. And a lot of them were like, Hey, so how do you know when to sell? And it, it's different for each one of our roles, you know? So like on the investor relations and capital raising side for me, 
It's if we've hit a good annual rate of return for the investors. And if we've at least hit our return projections, like if we projected a 20% return, annualized return annually, and say we hit a total return of 100% in year three versus year five, to me, I'm like, cool, this is, this would be a time I'd entertain selling. Now for our asset manager, you know, she's the type, and that happens to be my mother-in-law. She's the type where she has a different view. Her job is to, you know, as she has a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the business is performing in a certain way. But also as the asset manager, her job is also to make sure the residents at the properties are taken care of and they have a safe and comfortable place to live in and somewhere that they can take pride in where they call home. So each part of our business, we have different things that we look at. And that's kind of how we determine when to sell if we've hit our, you know, our plan, execute our business plan, hit our goals. So it just kind of depends. But right now, especially with the interest rates the way they are, it's like we're kind of holding on to some of those properties. The only way that we would sell is if we exceeded our investor projections. Makes a ton of sense. And just to clarify, to make sure I'm kind of following properly, you said value add in that kind of class B and C world. That's in its essence, meaning just maximizing equity for your investors in these properties, correct? Is that that kind of the way I'm, is that, am I correct in how I'm interpreting that? Yeah. So, so value add, the concept is, you know, we want to come in, we want to buy these underperforming assets mismanaged assets, properties that are below market rates already. Maybe the current ownership just got lazy or got scared to bump rents. It happens all the time. Or you just run into another group like us that executed their three to five year business plan, left some meat on the bone for us to come in and finish that off and finish, you know, adding more value. But the main, the most common value add opportunities at a multifamily property is one, decreasing the expenses. So usually you look for an expense ratio right around 50%. You run into a property like the one we have under contracts closer to, a, it's a little bit above 60. So now we know that there's an issue there. There's Their expenses are too high. So we can come in and reduce those expenses. That's one value add. The second one is interior renovations, unit upgrades, so you can accomplish a higher per month rent. So those are the main ones. And then there's a ton of other ones. Like out here in Texas, it gets hot, right? And so people will pay for covered parking, you can go, you know, charge an extra 35 bucks, 45 bucks for a covered parking spot, you know, so people can keep their cars in the shade, on-site laundry facilities, valet trash, all these little things. They, it might seem like very small, but on a 200 unit building or 300 unit building or 150, they add up quite a bit. And so all this extra, because multifamily properties are valued not by comps, like in single families, they're, based off the market and the nearby properties, multifamily, the, these assets are valued based off of the cash flow that comes through the property and the net operating income. So every little bit that we increase that net operating income, it substantially increases the overall valuation of the property. Yeah. And so you, you go through your process to find the deal that you like. And obviously it's not just you out there looking that finds a deal that you like. You, you're, I assume you're competing against other groups, other firms, other investors, what does that look like? I mean, it's, you mentioned it took seven months to get your first deal. What, you know, how bloody can the waters get? Like, what's the competition like out there for you? What does that side of things look like? After you found the deals that you like versus what you don't like, how do you actually go acquire those deals? And what's that look, that whole environment look like? At the very beginning, full transparency, it was difficult. You have no credibility at all. You've never done a deal. So there's sometimes there's a mental block. Like, why would this broker? Or why would this seller give me the deal? I don't, they don't see any track record. There's no past 
performance history, nothing. So it's tougher to get into the space. So what you need is you need something that we call in this industry called a sponsor. Uh, a sponsor is somebody that, and to even qualify for the debt on these deals, you need a sponsor as well. Cause to even get them, no matter if you have all the single family experience in the world and you have a ton of net worth or liquidity, there's, you still can't qualify for a multifamily loan regardless. Like you need three things to qualify for these deals. You need net worth, liquidity. And then the third factor is the most important. You need multifamily specific experience to qualify for the loans on these deals. You need to be able to go show the lenders, hey, I've executed a business plan very similar to what we're doing here. And I've done it time and time again. And so to answer your question, at the beginning, it was hard. We didn't have that credibility. Brokers didn't take us serious. And so what you have to do is you have to learn how to piggyback off of relationships. And so that's when you bring in a sponsor. Now you can start submitting your offers with a sponsor on there. And that's just based off of personal relationships that you build. We qualify as a sponsor. Now we can sponsor our own deals or we can sponsor deals for other new people that are trying to enter into the space. But that's why, I mean, we submitted 27 offers before we got our first one accepted. 27. And then we got our, our, right after we closed on that first one, boom, first off with a sponsor, with a qualified sponsor. Now our first LOI that we put out after we closed that deal gets accepted. 2022 rolls around. Three of our first four offers that we submitted got accepted, closed all of those in July. And then now it's, it's almost as if every offer we put out, not everyone, but if we're being serious, almost every offer we feel like we put out, we've got a chance at. And a lot of the times, those first 27 offers we put out, those were all on-market deals. And in the multifamily space, we focus on off-market deals so we don't have to go compete against a bunch of other operators. Mm. So I, I love it, man. Re- real estate is so cool. And, and this is why a lot of people talk about, and like you were alluding to, it's like one of the easiest ways to rapidly build net worth. And the, the word that comes to mind for me is leverage because I'm able to utilize somebody else's money to grow my net worth and every party is happy about it. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about the the leverage on the tax side as well, because everyone here is real estate. They think equity, appreciation, cash flow, all these different things. But let's talk about the tax benefits because of how amazing they really are through depreciation, through cost segregation. So how are you going about that for your limited partners, for everyone that's in deals with you? What is What does depreciation look like? Tell us a little bit more about what depreciation is. And then let's go into kind of how we're utilizing it within your nature of your business. Yeah. So first off, great question. It is probably my favorite part of this business and my favorite thing to discuss with investors. Now, just pressing on some, I'm not a tax professional or anything like that. So, you know, if someone has questions on this, definitely consult with your CPA from a high level overview. Essentially how it works is, and this is literally probably one of the, mo- the, mo- the most popular reasons why people invest in these deals. Most of our investors are high net worth earners and they're just busy. And our job is to make their lives easier and give them back more time, right? So they can spend time doing things that they care most about, like spend time with their business, their families, their life. And then we're the ones that can go multiply their income for them. But part of that is taxes. And so if they're making a lot of money, most of the time, they also pay a lot in taxes. And so that's one of the first questions I ask when I'm doing my investor calls, what we'll do is we'll essentially try to reverse engineer and figure out how much their tax burden is for the upcoming year. And then we'll, we'll try to put together a plan based off of two investments, three investments, one investment, how much we need to invest that year to offset that tax liability. 
And so that, that's when it gets fun. And we put together a strategic plan with these investors. And so essentially how it works is we do a cost segregation study on every single deal. Everything above the land on a multifamily property loses value over time, right? It depreciates in value. Very similar to when you buy a new car at a car lot, right? When you drive it off the lot, boom, what's, what happens? It loses value, right? So same exact concept. And so what we do is we get to capitalize on that. And we have a third-party company, an engineering company, come out and they do a deep dive analysis on every single part of the property. You know, the doors, windows, roof, gutters, light switches, cabinets, appliances, every single thing loses value over the course of three to 29 and a half years, sometimes a little longer, but in commercial real estate there. And what we can do is we get to benefit from that cost segregation study. There's a depreciate, depreciable amount. And what you can do is you can accelerate that with bonus depreciation as a direct loss in year one. And what's cool is we pass that depreciation loss to our passive investors. And so I'll give you an example. So a couple things. So one, the first example is like my parents, for example, they were a lot of people in real estate, they've heard of something called a 1031 exchange. And so essentially what you're doing there is you're deferring and kicking the can down the road and paying those taxes later. Or what a cost segregation study will do is it'll actually eliminate those taxes up front for you. Now you will have a taxable event later from your profits and earnings and equity at the new sale. But the goal at that point is to benefit from a very similar strategy at the time. So you're not just deferring it, you're actually eliminating it. So I told you about my parents and how they had some real estate in Oregon. They sold everything they owned in Oregon. And from the sale of those properties, they had capital gains tax of almost a million bucks, $998,000. And they redeployed their funds. Instead of doing a 1031, they redeployed those funds into my multifamily deals, into a, a couple of them back to back. From their investment, they invested sizable amount, but from their investment into those two deals, they got 1.4 million of depreciation. And so not only did now they, their investment, instead of giving it to the government where it's just gone, now that money is actually put it, being put to work and it's multiplying for them. And if we can just hit an average annual return of 20% return on a five-year hold, we'll double that money in five years. And at the same time, that 1.4 million of depreciation offset everything, that entire 998 grand that they owed to the IRS. So super cool concept, very good strategy. And, you know, it's one of the, the top reasons we just did another one. Now, that being said, the depreciation amount did drop this year in 2023 from 100% bonus depreciation down to 80%. So last year, we just closed on a $52 million deal, 419 unit deal in Dallas. It's a really exciting deal. I can tell you more about the details another time, but our depreciation amount on that came to 81%. So an investor that invested $100,000, they got an $81,000 depreciation amount that, that could go towards offsetting taxes. So it's unbelievable, man. And, and you're not spending more money. You're putting it into something that's going to actually grow and grow equity and grow net worth. And you're saving money in taxes. It's a no brainer. And over time, no we, like the nature of our business, mine and Landon's is like, we work with people that have businesses and they're, they're growing over time. You're making so much money that you can't afford not to buy real estate because while you're growing something, you're actually able to take a loss on it at the same time. It's a wild concept. So I think that's all as, as deep as to the weeds that we want to go without getting yeah. too nerdy. Cause we, we can all nerd out on this stuff forever. Cause it's awesome. It's like, yeah. this is where taxes become cool. 
because as entrepreneurs, you're able to utilize it to your benefit. But as we wrap up here, I want to know about Eric Chattered and the Human. We talked a lot about the business, but where are you headed? What's your vision? Where do you see this company going, but also for yourself? Like what's fulfilling you? Where do you actually want to see it over the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, man, great question. You know, I think for me, it's just been constant development. You know, I keep hitting, we've been doing really well these last few years and not going to lie. And it's been fun. And so I, we keep hitting these goals and I keep accomplishing certain whys. And so for me, it's a consistent development that it's changing nonstop. I think where I'm seeing our company going is a couple of, I mean, I'm working really hard right now. I just got married six months ago. For me, my top focus is not to just work my tail off forever. You know, like I, I work not just to work, but to, to create freedom of time. And for me, first and foremost, family comes first. And I want to, I really want to be a dad. I'm at that point, you know, I'm 32 years old, done really well. And I've grinded in my twenties and my early thirties to create a solid foundation. So purely so I can be like, so I can have the time that I want to be the dad that I want. And so for me, family comes first. And I want to take that step. We're talking about this year. I'm uh, starting a family, so it's really exciting. But I want to be that dad that's like present. You know, I, I'm there for the first words, for the first steps, for the baseball games, for the football games. Like I want to be there and be present. I don't want to be the dad's just like not around because he's busy working all the time. And so I'm in grind mode right now, um, so I can be present later. So I think for us, I mean, we've got you know, almost will be a little over 1400 units here in the next five, six weeks. My first initial goal is to go hit 5,000 units. I think we'd like to accomplish that by the time I'm 35 in the next three years. I think we can blow that out of the water. I really do. And then from there, it's on to 10,000, on to 20,000. And with the right team in place, as our company continues to scale and grow, and there's three main roles in this business, acquisitions and underwriting, asset management, and then investor relations and capital raising. So if you know each one of those legs, if we continue to build those legs out, give other people opportunity to come add value to our business, then we can get to this point where the company is growing organically. And that's where I want to get it to. And yeah, just cr- kind of create more opportunity for other people. But really where I get most of my fulfillment from lately, it's been helping other people break into the business, helping other people to learn how to do what we've done. And then also helping investors get returns that they really like, right? That, that gives me a lot of fulfillment. But lately, especially, and I told you, I've been traveling around and helping educate people on how to do this business and how to get into it. That brings me a ton of fulfillment. I love jumping on like Zoom calls like this and, you know, having people just ask questions and give them tips and guidance on how to, you know, cause there was a lot of barriers that I faced when I first started. Keep in mind, it took seven months to get my first deal. That was not an easy, seven months by any means. This is not all sunshine and rainbows here. You know, it's a difficult business. And so if you have the right coaching and resources and training and tools, then it's very, very doable. But it also takes a certain mindset. And so I love talking to people about not just the business, but also the mindset side of things and helping groom people to really hit this thing out of the park. Eric, man, awesome, awesome interview. I cannot wait for our community to listen to this one. As we wrap up here, one question, it's a little corny, but one question we like to ask everybody, this is the Consistency Wins podcast, right? So what does consistency mean to you? How does that show up in your life? And then also, how can our listeners connect with you, follow you? What's what's that all thing look like? So what does consistency mean to you and how can we follow your journey and connect with you? Yeah, I think the name that you guys came up with is perfect. 
because consistency, it truly does win, man. Like there's a lot of people that can just go get hyped up and get excited about something. But if they don't have that discipline to be consistent every single time, and that's what consistency means to me, it means discipline. It means being willing to do what needs to be done, even when you don't want to do it. And, you know, in my life, it happens every day. You know, I wake up every day at 3.30 a.m. and my alarm's set for four and I typically wake up half hour before it even goes off. And I love those hours. Those are my favorite hours because my day starts getting hectic around 8 a.m. So from like, I go to the gym right away, I'll be done by 4.30 or 5. So I get like three or four hours of just uninterrupted, peaceful, focused work time. Those are my favorite hours. So I think guys just just being true, knowing, like being clear with what your vision is and just doing whatever it takes to stay like on path with that and like consistent, like discipline, just be disciplined with it and, and surround yourself with people that also have the same vision because then you're not getting distracted by the other BS in life. So that's, I think consistency means discipline to me and being focused on what those goals are. And then as far as reaching out to me, I'm all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Those are my main three. But really, if you want to get to know like my program and our company and what we stand for, what we focus on, just go to our website. It's www.gibbyscapital.com, G-I-B-B-Y-S, capital.com. You can learn more about myself. You can learn more about our offerings, what we focus on, what type of value we can add to investors. And also, you can see our contact information. You can book a meeting on my calendar there. So we can jump on some sort of discovery call or investor introduction call from that point. Amazing, man. This has been an absolute privilege to be able to have you on here. Dude, you crushed it. Crushed it. Awesome story. 32 years old doing these types of numbers and this amount of activity with integrity is unbelievable, man. So thank you for that. We'll be sure to include all the links in the description and appreciate you, Eric. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me on, guys.